This is The Granite Beat, a podcast where we highlight New Hampshire journalists, ask them about recent stories they've published, and about what it's like to cover their corner of this small and interesting state. I'm Julie Hershan Hart, and I'm here with Adam Jabshow. Hello. If you played high school sports in the Lakes region, or Northern New Hampshire within the past two decades, it's almost guaranteed that Joshua Spaulding has published your name at least once. He has worked for 20 years as a sports editor for the Salmon Press, which publishes weekly newspapers throughout Central and Northern New Hampshire, and currently directs and produces sports coverage for 11 newspapers. Over the years, he has chronicled the stories of promising young athletes, some of whom have risen to professional or even Olympic competition. Thank you for joining us, Josh. Thanks for having me, guys. Josh and I go way back. My first full-time job in journalism was with Sound Press newspaper, the Baysider, and the Granite State News. And Josh's desk was right around the corner from mine. So I would like to add a few things to Josh's <laughs> intro. He's a proud alumnus of the UNH Wildcats marching band. He keeps his trumpet handy for playing in community bands. He's a mega fan of the reality TV franchise Survivor and was one of the first people I knew to recognize the genius of Taylor Swift, well before she became recognized as a a once-in-a-generation force in the recording industry. But there are some things that even I don't know. So, Josh, could you please tell us how you became interested in journalism and how you got your start in the business? I was an English major in college, and the reason I was an English major was because there were no tests in the English department. I hate tests. I don't (laughs) test well. Never have. Probably never will. I knew English. There was no test. There was writing. And so there was also no classes on Fridays <clears throat> in the English department, UNH at the time. So there was a lot There was a lot of good reasons for that. I worked all day on Friday, so I didn't have to worry about going to class. So I that was kind of my unorthodox way to get into English. And getting into the newspaper was probably even more unorthodox. I worked at the nursing home in Ossipee, Carroll County Nursing Home. And I worked with a woman who was roommates with Terry Levitt, who was now with the Conway Daily Sun at the time, was the Carroll County Independent Editor. And she was looking for a sports writer to stringer to work part-time. And so I got, I started doing it that part-time. And then when the guy who was the sports editor left, I stepped into his spot. Were you interested in journalism in general, or was it sports journalism uh, particularly that interested you? I don't think necessarily I was like, quote unquote interested in either of them like jumping out at me i was an english major but when i went to when i the opportunity to write sports came pretty out of nowhere and i think that i because i know sports and i I know most sports you know i still don't understand field hockey most sports and i and i kind of found that easier to jump into than i probably would have if i had been covering selectmen's meetings or school board meetings or things like that that i that i wasn't as familiar with i knew baseball i knew softball i knew those sports so i was able to kind of jump into that a little bit easier, I think, than if I just covered the regular journalism areas. So how do you feel as being known as a sports guy now? Oh, it's a thousand times better. Because we were sports sports people report on people's accomplishments. Or oftentimes news journalists will report on things that go bad for people. Sports journalists are almost always talking about people's good accomplishments, the good things that they're doing. And I, I to me that that's it's a thousand times better. Uh-huh. As Julie mentioned in the intro, you've watched several promising locals develop into world-class athletes. I wonder if there's anything that you've noticed that they have in common. Are there any characteristics that a young athlete might display to make them mark them as someone to watch for in the future? I don't know if there's a single characteristic. I think 
unbelievable talent is helpful. Yeah. And I think if you have that, you can pretty much go as far as you want to take yourself. Probably one of the big things is drive. The willingness to put whatever work in needs to be put in to do it. I, I think that that's probably the most defining characteristic of people that I've seen move from high school to college and beyond. And I think that if you're willing to put in the the time and the effort, that if you have that drive, that's going to help you a great deal. And then your talent will obviously take you the rest of the way. Are there any particular athletes that you'd like to hold up as exemplars of that kind of drive? Well, I think that, you know, three of the people that I've seen that have made it the furthest are Jeff Locke, who Mm -hmm. pitched in the major leagues for a number of years, was an all-star. And, you know, certainly he was pitched at Kennett High School in North Conway. And, you know, I I remember watching Jeff pitch and thinking he was, you know, he's he's a deal. He, He can throw. And that first game of his senior year, they had about, I want to say 18 or 19 scouts standing behind the backstop of his first, because that's the only time they knew he was going to pitch was the first game of the year. And, you know, because you don't know in New Hampshire, you don't know when you're going to, and the game was moved to a JV field because the varsity field wasn't ready. So it was this old dilapidated field on the other side of the railroad tracks and at Kennett high school and they're playing there. And it's almost, it's dreary. And the coach was almost like, I don't want to start him because I don't want him to get hurt, but I don't, I can't not start him because they're all here to see him. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he was one of them. Uh, Leanne Smith, who also went to Conway, who also went to Kennett high school. I'm going to, Kennett's going to be a pretty big topic on this one. Cause she was, she was a three sport athlete in high school and was an Olympic skier. She was 2010, 2014. She didn't, um, she while she excelled at skiing, she was also a very good soccer goalie, and she was a great shortstop on a softball team. She also was skiing, club skiing all over the United States, but made time to ski for Kennett for mm-hmm. the high school because she wanted to be part of her team. So she made the time. She had the energy and the ability to make the time to say, "Hey, I want to do this." And the other one, also from Kennett, I'm this kind of is Sean Doherty, who who is a, now a three time Olympian. And in the biathlon, and he was a cross country skier, and he is he was cross country skier at Kennett. He's a biathlete mm-hmm. now, and he same thing. He he was one of those kids that just he was in, in the cross country skiing. He was just minutes ahead of everybody, and it was very obvious that he was a good skier. And once he put the shooting part into it, you can you know you probably go a little bit further in those sports that are least that it might be a little less recognizable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you're willing to put in the time to to work on those those type of sports, it's, it's probably going to help you. I remember when Jeff Locke was drafted by yeah. the Yank was Atlanta it? Braves. Uh, Atlanta Braves, okay. Yeah. And he gave you a bat yeah. that he had signed no, and it he, was in a nice case. He had it in he had a bat made of me. Lloyd Jones at the Conway Daily Sun had one as well. A few of his coaches and stuff that we had. It was engraved with his name and then his, you know, thanking us for for the coverage over the years that we did it. Yeah, it was still in my office. I thought that was a, a remarkably classy move yeah. for and someone who was probably just 17, 18 years yeah, he old. He was. And the AD at the time, who also always says, I'm pretty sure that's his sister, his sister's influence on him. Okay. Because he, his sister was very, you know, important in his life. He, the AD at the time was saying, I'm pretty sure that's where that came from. That influence came from his sister. All right. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for sisters. <laughs> I went to school with both Jeff and Leanne. So it's so yeah. nice to hear you talk so <laughs> highly of them. You know, I followed their careers, but I didn't know that story about the bat gifts. Yeah. That's a really sweet yeah. story about Jeff. Yeah, he did that at Sports Awards that year. It was it was total shock to Lloyd and I, particularly. Like we were like, oh wow, that's you know not not no respected. So we are fascinated by your coverage of the Olympic Games. I know that many many local journalists have watched Olympic broadcasts and wished that there was a way that they could be covering it, and you figured out a way to make that happen. 
Could you tell us when you first proposed covering the Olympics and how you got the approval to do it? I didn't propose it so much. So <laughs> as just said, I'm going to do it. It was like late, it was 2012 and I, I got an, I, I'm on a, you know, because of Leanne and Sean and, and these people that, that are skiing at high level, I, I, I got myself on just a, a normal press list for a U.S. ski team. And so they send out press releases and U.S. ski team updates and things like that. And I, I got, so I subscribed to that press list and they sent out a thing saying credentials are open for Sochi for 2014. I'm like, I figured Leanne was going to be there. At the time, Sean was a long shot to make it, but there was a possibility that he might make it. He was still in high school or just finishing high school. And I said, ah, why not? It doesn't hurt to apply, to put, put your name out there and do it. And so I did. And, and I, got a, I got a call from a woman in Buffalo who worked for a newspaper in Buffalo. And she, she asked me a bunch of questions about what I was going to do, what my plan was, what was going to happen when I was there, what, how, who I was covering, what I was covering, all sorts of questions. And you know, and she said, okay, and she thanked me and she hung up and I was looking and I know that I looked at the list and weekly newspapers are pretty far down on the list of priorities. So I'm like, I'm probably not going to get it, but it didn't hurt to put my name out there. And then I got it. And I think it probably has something to do with it being in Russia that maybe some other people weren't so keen on going that there was some, there may have been an extra credential or two lying around that they had. So I, when I got there for Sochi in 2014, I was, I said to my bosses, I said, you know, I, I have this opportunity. I have to take it. And they're like, oh, of course. And of course, the, the next thing was I wasn't going to, because this was my thing, this wasn't their thing. Um, I set out that I was going to raise the money to do this and I was going to pay it on my own and figure out a way to do that. And what I did is I, the, the communities, particularly at that time, I wasn't covering as much as I am now. I covered just in the general vicinity from Plymouth over to Wolfboro area. So a lot of, there was a lot of fundraisers and it happened and people donated money and, and then the company matched everything that I raised up to $5,000. So at the time I raised enough money with that matching to actually pay for the second time, the second trip to the Olympics are basically on its own. So I, I never counted on the company paying my way. I kind of raised my own money and, and, and do it. And at the same time, I also do my normal job while I'm there. So I have to write the stories about what's going on here. If coaches are sending me information, I still write all because I'm the only person in, in, the, in really in the, in the sports department. So I'll, I'll write my own stories about what's going on here. And then I'll write what's going on at the Olympics. And I'll spend a lot of time just writing while I'm there, just sitting in the media center, writing and writing and writing. <laughs> so just doing what you normally do, but in a much fancier yeah, venue. No, I don't know if it's fancy. It's, it's, it's just a very large room. It's a big, big old room with a lot of desks. And how many Olympic Games have you been to and how many more do you well, think you might see? I've done four. So I did Sochi and Pyeongchang were my first two. And I, I skipped, I didn't do the Summer Olympics because I didn't think there was much local connection to the Summer Olympics. There's not as much as the Winter Olympics. But on a whim, I decided to apply for Tokyo in 20, was supposed to be 2020. And I got approved for that after another interview. I was I got kind of lucky in that. I had to do an interview. Like once, once I'm in for winter... I don't have to interview anymore. So I did the interview the first time and I haven't interviewed for winter since. Uh, but I had to do an interview for Tokyo in the summer and I got lucky. The guy who interviewed me was the sports editor for the Boston Globe. And he and I had worked pretty closely while we were in Pyeongchang because he we covered a lot of the same stuff. So he knew how hard I worked and how much time I put in and all the stuff I was doing. So he had a pretty good idea of that. He says, he says, it'll probably help your cause that, that I know you. He says, but he says, I can't, he can't say it's going to, but... And I got approved for Tokyo. So Tokyo was my third. And then Beijing uh, last February was my fourth. I got approved for Paris in 2024. So 
um, I will do that, and then we'll we'll go from there. I mean, obviously, you know, you never know. I, I really, I really want to get through to Italy in 2026. I've covered three Winter Olympics. None of them have been in winter places. Um, you know, they're all there was palm trees in Sochi. You know, Beijing, <laughs> Beijing, we got a big snowstorm like the third or fourth day. But other than that, the the area around Beijing, Pyeongchang, weren't really covered in, in snow until you get up to the mountains and you get a thing. So I kind of want to cover the Winter Olympics in a winter area. So I'm kind of hoping that I can get through to 2026. What are some of your favorite memories that you'd like to share, particularly around cultural experiences during your international travels? Oh, I think the one, the biggest thing that forever will stand out as far as that stuff goes, non-sports, non-anything, is going to the the DMZ between North and South Korea. They, They offered these tours, these free tours to the media where we could, they put us on a bus and we drive up, we drove up to the to into the DMZ, we stopped at the DMZ museum, and then we went out to this big lookout type point place. And you could, from there, you could just look out. It's still the wallpaper on my desktop computer or my laptop computer. And you can look right out, and you could see they said, okay, they, you could see the guard stations up in the mountain coming down, and you could look, you could see right where the line was between North and they like, yeah, that that line, that 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 mountain is in North Korea, and there's just fences, these miles of beautiful beaches without fences. All around because they can't they, nobody can go on them because they don't want anybody going swimming out of one going into the other so there's fences and this yeah it was that was just that was an insane experience thinking about where i was what i'm like well yeah that's that's something else and it was like there was a big program going on at the pavilion where there was some woman playing the cello with bare feet and i always remember she had bare feet and it was not warm and she was playing the cello and there was some guy he drew Korea, United Korea on a piece of plastic and pushed his way through it with shaving cream. It was very weird, but it was just, that was just the, the being there where you were was just, was, I was, that was probably the most cultural, the biggest cultural thing I said. The other thing that I remember distinctly was, was when I was going to Russia and I, I had, a, this was my first Olympics and I had a fear that I was going to get to Moscow because in Moscow, you're flying in internationally from Paris. I had, I had flown to Paris and I was like, so you had to go from the international terminal to the domestic terminal. because so I, I was so convinced that I was going to get lost in the Moscow terminal. I was going to be like Tom Hanks in the movie, The Terminal. I wasn't going to be able to leave because I was not going to be able to figure out how to get from one terminal to another and get on a plane because I figured everything's going to be written in Russian and I'm not going to be able to read this. And we got off the plane and walked down the, the, around the gangplank and we're heading out into the uh, terminal. And there's these two young women standing there with big Sochi signs on them. And so anybody who was going to Sochi, they had they had sent mm-hmm. these volunteers to meet all the planes. And they walked us through the, they got through our luggage. They walked us all the way around to the uh, terminals. They asked us, okay, where's your flight? What's your flight number? Where are you going? They took us to the right flight, the right gates. It, it was it was incredible. And I was totally so scared when I, when I walked, when I was getting off that plane in Moscow that I was going to get lost and I was not going to be able to get out of Moscow, Moscow airport. And I, now I know when I, on Korea, it was the same thing. I knew, I knew when I got there, I figured there was going to be people that, and they were, there was, there was a desk right there. I said, hey, here's how you get to there. Here's how you get to here. And it was just, it's, it was reassuring. It was that first time that happened. It was like, all right, I, I feel like that I know that next time. And when I left, it was the same thing. You flew from Sochi to Moscow, you got to Moscow. There was people there to tell you how to get to your next plane, so it was. It was. That was. That was. That was a. That was a massive fear. Of, I was so petrified that I was going to be. I was going to be stuck in the Moscow airport, U.S. citizen, unable to get out of Russia. That's a familiar <laughs> story, I guess. So once you make it to the games, what is that experience like? What's it like to watch these events? 
you know, happen right in front of you? Well, it's, it's interesting because some of them, like my favorite, my favorite winter sport is alpine skiing. Mm-hmm. And it's when you're at the Olympics, you don't see the entire race. Like you, you, you see it just like you would see it here on TV because the course is so long, particularly mm-hmm. on those downhills and the, and the giant slots and super G's. Of course, so long that you can't see from the bottom. You can't see the bottom of the top. It's just not feasible. All you see in person is the end of the race, the person coming down around the last couple of gates or the last corner. So you're watching the rest of it on TV. And if huh. Either you're in the media center watching it or you're out in the out in the, the corral out front or in the media tribune or whatever, but you're watching it and it's, you're just watching a big, huge TV up on the, up on the side on the side of the mountain. And that's for skiing. Once you get inside for hockey and, and figure skating and curling and those things, it's pretty cool to see, you know, some of these, you know, I, I remember that, that Sochi, that, that first year, like Sedano Chara was on one of the Olympic mm-hmm. games and you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool, you know, but it's just like being at a Bruins game, except for you're there as, as, as a member of the press and you, you're watching the game that way, but it's not, you know, it, it, it's here. If I'm, if I'm covering a, a ski meet, I can basically see the whole race mm-hmm. because the courses aren't as long. However, if I'm if I'm there, I'm, I, I know I'm not going to see the whole entire thing. I'm going to see what I can see from where I'm sitting. So, what makes it worth it to go all the way there? Oh no, it's just it's just an experience. Just these are the best people. The best. And you get to interview them too. You know, after yeah. a while, in person, you can sit down. And you, they they come through. They come through the line, and there's there's a whole spot where you can stand. I mean, getting to interview Lindsey Vaughn was was one of the highlights of my. I mean, I was in a group of people. It wasn't like it was just me and Lindsey Vaughn, but it's Lindsey Vaughn, and she's. A foot and a half away from you, and yeah, you're like, oh my, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, yep. <laughs> the same with Michaela Schiffer. Michaela Schiffer is the same way. She's she, they're both such incredible personalities that they draw hordes of media to them, and they handle it so very, very well in the way that they deal with. I mean, Michaela Schiffer, as everyone knows, had a horrible experience in Beijing. Yeah, she talked about it. She came down the mountain and she talked about it. And it's not that's not the easiest thing to do. And everybody she you she knew that everyone was gonna be asking her questions and, and it's gonna be talking about this. And I love that that you get that access in that situation. You can be right there with them, Bodie Miller and, and Sochi as well. You know, these these people that that are just the best of the best and they're like you're talking right to them, you know, directly and, and they're answering questions and yeah. I, I like that aspect of it. I like that you can just be right there and you can, and you know, it was tough during COVID. It was, it was a little bit different during COVID, but I thought that, you know, it was still better than being here watching it and trying to write a story from, from game notes that are provided by the team. or Do you have a particular competition or ski run that sticks out in your memory? You know, one that sticks out to me, I think is not one, not, not so much a winner, but it's the girl from Holderness, Julia Ford, and she wasn't supposed to make the Olympics. She was she was a last minute addition, and she she raced and she did fine. She finished, but I have never seen someone smiling so much after huh. finishing a you know way down in the list. She was just so excited to be there, so happy to have the chance to ski yeah. at the Olympics and do something that you know she's been aiming for that her whole life to get there to be able to do it. She wasn't expected to be there, and she wasn't expected to win. She didn't win. You know that that was something that was like, wow, that's 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 pretty. It's pretty fun to see somebody having this much of a good time doing that. And the other one was the Esther Ledecka, who was who is a snowboarder by trade, who won. I can't remember whether it was the Super G or the downhill in Pyeongchang, but she she won an alpine ski race coming out of nowhere. She's a, she she competes in both skiing and snowboarding. She was not expected to win 
this alpine race and she won it it was just like where did that come from wow you know those type of things you don't get to see very often so it's kind of neat that it's like wow that's that's pretty cool i was there when that happened that's that's pretty neat i wonder what seeing the olympics in person or seeing so many olympics in person does that give you any insight about sports athletics in general i don't know i mean you see i think that you see what it takes to get there you hmm. see you see the mentality of somebody at the same time you know the us is obviously produces some of the best in the world and you know in different sports and there's other countries that have athletes there that are just there and they're they're there representing their country they're not going to win a medal they're not going to they're not going to even come close to winning a medal. They want to finish. They want to be, you know, the Jamaican bobsled team always comes mm-hmm. to mind. But people like people that ski for, there's, there's a skier, there's skiers from like from African countries that no one expects that to see that. And, you, and they're there. They're not going to win, but they're there. And it's, and it's an Olympic, it's an Olympic experience. It's an experience that they can say for the rest of their lives, I was an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, that's something that just, you don't, you can't put a price on, I guess. Because they just they they can walk away from that saying you know I was here I did this you know I didn't yes I don't have a gold medal I don't have a silver medal but guess what I was here my name's on that list of people who were racing in, in Korea or China or, or Russia or whatever and I always like those kind of stories I always like those kind of those kind of things anyways people that the, the unexpected the the things that come out of nowhere I always appreciate that in all levels of sports so I like to see I like to see those type of uh, those type of athletes in action. Does it change the way that you do your job when you when the games are over and you come back to New Hampshire? I don't think so. I, I think that I try to keep everything the same as much as I can because I'm not really doing much different in at the Olympics than I do here. I'm covering sports and I'm covering I'm covering games that just the Olympics they're at a higher level. They're more competitive. They're more. It's just like if I was to go to a Red Sox game and cover a Red Sox game. It's the same thing. I'm 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 covering sports, so. I mean, I don't. I, I like to think that that the kids at the high school level here are getting the same coverage that I'm giving these elite athletes when I'm there. So my hope is that it doesn't change too much. That it's the same in both areas. But obviously, you know, I mean, you're when I'm. I don't. A lot of times, I don't like to put high school kids on the spot and interview them after a game because I know sometimes they're not mm-hmm. as comfortable with that. Whereas these professional athletes, I have no problem saying you know talking to them because this is their job and this yeah. is what they get paid for or what they're, they're, they know how to do. It sounds like you've got a really interesting, I mean, I guess it's not that interesting, but maybe I should say healthy attitude towards athletics and athletic competition. We hear you talk about those, uh, you know, the skier that is lucky just to make it to the games rather than trying to, feeling like a failure if they don't win a medal. Do you feel that you had that same appreciation before you went to the Olympics? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've always tried to, even teams that don't do so well, I always try to cover the teams the same way. You know, I try to, you know, these teams that that win one or two games a year, you know, you try to get, they may not get as much coverage, but you try to cover them the same way. You try to to find the good things in what they're doing. And I always try to do that. I always look for, you know, after losses or or tough matches, I always kind of look to, when I talk to a coach, I always kind of look for something positive to highlight because that's what you kind of want to do. You're not, you're not there to tear the kids down. You're not there to, complain about their mistakes you're there to try to give them a little notoriety for something they're trying to do with something they're doing and i think that that when when you're at when you're at the olympics it's the same thing you're trying to give these people they they get the notoriety but people like i mentioned julia ford 
or even Leanne Smith, who was who was a two-time Olympian, she never won any medals. But you know, I mean, in normal sites, she she may not get the coverage that I would give because she's she's local. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're looking at you're looking at these people, and and you're not you're not looking for to to take their mistakes and 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 highlight them. You're looking to find the positives in what they do, and I think that's always kind of been something I tried to do when I'm doing my sports here as well. So I don't. I don't like to harp on the negative, and I try to try to stay away from it as much as I possibly can. Anything you're looking for, forward to, particularly in Paris? You know, I've been to Paris before, and I only had a day and a half in Paris. Which, if anyone who's been to Paris knows, that's not enough time in Paris. Um, I really, I'm really. The opening ceremony sounds like it's going to be insane. They're going to have the opening ceremony on the on the river down oh. the middle. They're going to float boats down the middle of the down the river, in the middle of the city. With all the athletes, and instead of the traditional athlete parade into the, the yeah. arena, they're they're doing it on the river, wow. which is I can't imagine it's a security nightmare. <laughs> I can't imagine how in the world they're going to make sure this is safe for everybody. But I I'm really intrigued to see it. I had never seen an opening ceremony before before Beijing when I this this past February. I'd never been to an opening ceremony before that, and I loved the opening ceremony. It was just it was fantastic. It was long, but it was it was fantastic. It was it was just mesmerizing to watch so i'm really intrigued to see how they're going to do this how they're going to pull this off how they're going to make this work with the thousands of athletes and all of the fans that they're going to allow i mean they're basically allowing anybody who wants to come to come so Mm -hmm. i mean it's just i'm intrigued as to how they're going to do this and how it's going to be pulled off but i imagine it's going to look pretty pretty awesome Uh, all right well i think that brings us to our last couple of questions uh and my last question for all of our guests is What's something that you're working on that uh, you'd like to preview? Working on covering sports, man. Sports season <laughs> started last week. It's it's uh, uh, I got some pretty good teams this year. I think I think yeah, obviously defending champions in Prospect Mountain softball uh-huh. and uh, Newfound Girls Track and some some of those you know up up north. I have a couple other teams that are you know pretty solid as well. So I, I'm looking forward to getting everybody outside in spring sports. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, I, I'm, everybody's tired of the gym. So I'm glad that yesterday we had the first baseball softball games, like first track meet today, getting everything going and stuff. I'm not, I'm not typing one, hyping one thing. I'm just saying it's time for spring sports. And, okay. Yeah. I remembered a question I meant to ask you already. How many games do you go to in a year? A, a school year? One year I counted them. And I haven't counted them in a few years. One year I counted them and I came up with like 300 or something. Oh my but, gosh. but that was, well, no, it was two, it was 250 or so, but that was the year I went to the Olympics. So I missed two and a half weeks. So, but I mean, it's traditionally, it's, it's, there's, there's a game every day for, you know, in this fall season, you're going from August, the end of August to end of October, the winter season, you go in the middle of December to March. You know, spring you're going from April to June, so so you know there's at least one game every day, you know, six days a week. Sometimes there's days where you go to two games because there's one at four and there's one at six or something like that. So yeah, I, I would guess somewhere in the neighborhood of between two two fifty, probably be a good neighborhood area. What do you continue to learn about sports by going to these games? And I I should say. As I get older, I find that high school sports get continually more interesting to me and that I find more things to look for. And I wonder what you, how you would approach that. What, what keeps these games interesting to you? Well, I think that you have to find something, you have to find something to write about. You have to find a little something in there that's going to make the story a little more interesting than just, you know, the team won five, five to two or 
whatever. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if there's ever one thing that I, that I, that I look for, but I think that, you know, I just like seeing the evolution of the kids when you see them as freshmen and then, you know, mm. you see what seems like a year and a half later, they're seniors, or in some cases, it seems like they've been there for six years and they're, and they're only sophomores. Uh-huh. So, you know, you see them, you, some of these kids play three sports and you see them kind of move across those three sports over three or four years. You see, you see things like that. I, I, I kind of like that. I like to see the growth of the kids and the, where, what they, where they started, where they end. A lot of times it, they're better when they end than when they started. <laughs> yeah. um, not every time, but you know, so, I mean, I like, I like to see that. I like to see the, the way kids progress from from their freshman year to their senior years and what their plans are to move on beyond that so any advice for aspiring sports journalists you know i like that people that newspapers obviously are a tough business right now it's not it's not easy you you all know that just as well as i do but i think that what you should be doing is being focusing on 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 something that focusing on what you what you want to do like don't think that just because you're 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 a basketball player, you can only write about basketball. Write about what you want to write about. Come on, or take a chance. Offer offer up your services to someone like me or or another sports reporter. I've had kids who who want to write that Randy Booth. You remember Randy Booth? Yeah. He was he worked for the Laconia Citizen. He worked for me when he was in high school. He came to me and said, uh-huh. "Can I cover some games for you? I'm interested in journalism." And he went to college for journalism, and he wrote for me when he was in high school. There's always that opportunity. Those places are there. Look for look for chances to write. Write and get it out there. Because the more you write and get it out there, the more people are going to see it. And the more you can submit to colleges when you want to go to college, if you want to be a journalist, you can submit your work and say, here, this was published here. This was published here. Just write. Write about whatever you feel like you want to write about. And put it out there so that people that people can see it. And if they... If like if you decide you want to go to college and you want to pursue it, you have that writing out there that people can see. That's good advice for any kind of journalism. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Anything more you want to say? No, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, it's been a lot this of fun. Great. All right, cool. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. The Granite Beat is a project of the Granite State News Collaborative in partnership with the Laconia Daily Sun. We record at the Lakeport Opera House, and our theme music is composed by Bob McCarthy. Thanks also to the Marlin Fitzwater Center at Franklin Pierce University for editing and other support.